Going to be learning in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, the first piece in Hilchos Me'ila, which deals with the issues of someone who benefits from the property of the Beis HaMikdash. This is Perak Beis Halacha Hey. The issue that Rab Chaim is going to be discussing is there were two different types of property that the Beis HaMikdash had. One was Kodshe Berek the stuff that was intended for the upkeep of the building, like any shul, any non-profit, has money set aside in order to upkeep the physical property. So the Beis HaMikdash also had the Kodshe Berek and there was also the Kodshe Mizbeach, the property which was sanctified to go on the Mizbeach to be used in the sacrifices. So those are the two categories of property that the Beis HaMikdash owned. And Rab Chaim is going to analyze where the laws of Me'ila benefiting from the property of the Beis HaMikdash applied. The Rambam rules that the para aduma, the red cow that they would burn and use the ashes, moalinba, if somebody benefits from it, they violate me'ila, mishahuktisha, achateyasa efer, from the time that it's sanctified until it's burned to ashes. Afal pishi kikodshe bedekabayis, even though the para aduma has the status of kodshe bedekabayis, so it sounds like me'ila would not apply to kodshe bedekabayis, the upkeep materials, it only applies the Kodshe Mizbeach, the sacrifice materials. So the Rambam seems to be asking, why should Me'ila apply to the Para Aduma if it's in the category of Kodshe Berek So the Rambam answers, The Torah calls the Para Aduma a Chatas, which is a type of carbon. So therefore it has the laws of the carbon Chatas, which include Me'ila. So the Kesef Mishnah asks, what is the Rambam asking to begin with? Because the laws of Me'ila do apply to Kodshe Berek So what's the whole issue to begin with? If the para aduma is in the category of kodshe berek it would still be included in the laws of me'ila because the rules of me'ila applied even if someone benefited from kodshe berek So the Kesef Mishnah doesn't understand the language of the Rambam that seems to imply that in general the laws of me'ila don't apply to kodshe berek with the exception of the para aduma, which the Torah labeled a chatas, but otherwise the laws of me'ila don't apply to kodshe berek when in fact the that's not true, and the laws of Me'ila do apply to Kodshe Berekabai. So it's unclear why the Rambam implies otherwise. So Rab Chaim explains the language of the Rambam based on a distinction that he draws between the way Me'ila functions with Kodshe Berekabaiis versus Kodshe Mizbeach. So this is based on the Gemara Menachos, Dafnun Aleph. The Gemara derives from the fact that the Torah calls the Paraduma Chatas that only before it's burned the laws of Me'ila apply, but once the animal is burned in to ashes, then the laws of Me'ila don't apply anymore. So Tosos asks, why do we even need a Pasuk to teach us that the laws of Me'ila don't apply once it's burned into ashes? That's the halacha in general, that once any carbon is burned, the laws of Me'ila no longer apply. So why do we need a special Pasuk to teach us that the same exemption that applies to every sacrifice also applies to the Paraduma. That should have been obvious. So Tosos answers that there's a key distinction between the Paraduma versus the other sacrifices. Other sacrifices, once they're burned, that's the end of the process of their sacrifice. It's over once they're burned. The Paraduma, on the other hand, is just getting started once it's burned because they need to use the ashes and mix them with water and sprinkle them. So the ashes are the main part of the whole process. So that's why there's a big difference between a regular carbon 
carbon versus the paraduma, because of course the laws of me'ila don't apply to a regular carbon once it's burned. It's over. That's the end of its process. Whereas with the paraduma, even after it's burned, it's still in the middle of its process until it's sprinkled. So you might have thought that there's still the laws of me'ila even after it's burned. So that's why we need a special pasuk to teach us that once it's burned, then it's become ashes, so the laws of Me'ila don't apply anymore. So now Rab Chaim questions Tosus's answer, because the halacha of Me'ila applies to the paraduma because the Torah called it a chatas. But Rab Chaim says that logically, the Torah's only calling the paraduma a chatas before it's been burned, because then it's similar to the carbon chatas. It's an animal sacrifice. But once the paraduma's been burned and now it's ashes, so then presumably the Torah is not calling it a chatas at that point because it has nothing in common with the actual chatas. So the basic assumption is that as soon as the paraduma is burned, once it becomes ashes, it loses any connection with the actual chatas. And while it's true that the ashes may still be sanctified because they're still going to be used in the sprinkling, so there's still a holy use for those ashes, which keeps them sanctified, but it's not in the same way as so according to that, Tosus's answer is now still difficult. Why does the Gemara need to explicitly exclude the ashes of the Paraduma from the laws of Me'ila when that should be obvious because it's no longer a chatas? The only reason we applied the laws of Me'ila to begin with is because it's considered a chatas. But as soon as it's burned, so now it's ashes, it loses the status of the chatas. So it should automatically be obvious that the laws of Me'ila no longer apply. So now we're back to the original question why does the Gemara need to specifically exclude the laws of Me'ila from applying to the ashes of the Paraduma? So Rab Chaim explains that what Tosos means in his answer is that Rab Chaim's question would be true if we were dealing with Kedushas Haguf, the inherent sanctity of this paraduma. So that would be correct, that as soon as it's burned, it loses the status of the chatas, and so it should automatically be true that the laws of Me'ila no longer apply. That's all in the realm of Kedushas Haguf, the inherent sanctity of this paraduma. But there's another sanctity, which is Kedushas Damim, that it belongs to the Beis HaMikdash. It's the financial property of the Beis HaMikdash. So that's what Tosos means to say, that even after the animal is burned, it doesn't lose the status of Kedushas Damim. The ashes still belong to the Beis HaMikdash. That's how Tosvos phrases it, that since the mitzvah of the sprinkling is not completed, there's still use for this, which means to say that it's the property of the Beis HaMikdash. So that's why we would have thought that the laws of Me'ila continue to apply even though this lost the status of being like a chatas. So it's true, as soon as it's burned, it's no longer a chatas. But there's another reason that the laws of Me'ila should still apply to these ashes. Because since they're still needed for the mitzvah, they're the property of the Beis HaMikdash. They have Kedusha Sedamim, the financial ownership of the Beis HaMikdash. So the laws of Me'ila should still apply if anyone benefits from them. So that's why the Gemara needs to explicitly exclude that there is no more Me'ila on the ashes because the Torah compared it to achatas, and after it's burned, the laws of Me'ila no longer apply. So even though it's Kedushas Damim and the laws of Me'ila should logically apply, but the Torah explicitly excluded it by comparing the Paraduma to achatas. 
So that's Rab Chaim's explanation of Tosvos. Now, using this, Rab Chaim plugs it back into the language of the Rambam, and he explains that what the Rambam means to say is that why is there no Me'ila on the ashes of the Para Aduma, even though they were burned, but they still have Kedushas Damim. So on that, the Rambam applies that the Torah called it a Chatas. So the Torah is saying that just like the regular carbon Chatas no longer has the laws of Me'ila after it's burned, so too the Paraduma loses all the sanctity. Even the Kedushas Damim, that the Beis HaMikdash owns it, all of the sanctity is gone after it's burned, so there's no me'ila on the ashes. So unlike the Kesef Mishnah, who understood that the Rambam is applying the Chatas category to explain why there is me'ila on the Para Aduma to begin with, Rab Chaim's explaining that it's the opposite. Rambam is applying the Chatas idea to explain why there is no me'ila after the Para Aduma is burned. So the Rambam's asking that even though the Para Aduma was burned, it should still have the sanctity of the so there should still be Me'ila. And the answer is that no, the Torah explicitly said that there's no more Me'ila after it's burned, even though the ashes are still needed, which is exactly how Tosos formulated what the Gemara in Menachos is saying. So the Rambam is saying the same idea as Tosos, and it's different than the way the Kesef Mishnah interpreted it. The Rambam is not asking why there should be Me'ila to begin with, but the opposite. He understands why there's Me'ila. He's asking why there's no Me'ila on the ashes after it's burned. So the Rambam is not implying at all that there's no me'ila on Berek Habayis, which was the Kesef Mishnah's question. According to Rab Chaim's interpretation, there is no implication of that at all in the language of the Rambam. So that's Rab Chaim's first approach to make sense of the language of the Rambam. Now in the third paragraph, Rab Chaim suggests a second way to make sense of the Rambam. And this is based on a more fundamental distinction between Kodshei Berek Habayis versus Kodshei Mizbeach when it comes to the laws of me'ila. And that is, Rab Chaim argues that there's no concept of Naseis Mitzvasan, that once the mitzvah is over and done with, there's no more Me'ila, except when it comes to Kodshei Mizbeach, so either an item which was sanctified for the Mizbeach. So once it's been used and its mission was accomplished, it's now Naseis Mitzvasan and there's no more Me'ila. Or alternatively, where the money is intended to buy something for the Mizbeach. So even though the money itself is not sanctified, but it's going to be used in order to buy a sacrifice for the Mizbeach. So in those cases, we could say that something is Naseis Mitzvasan, it's over and done with, and its goal has been accomplished. But Kodshei Berek Habayis are sanctified because they belong to the Beis HaMikdash. It's not because there's a specific intended purpose which is sanctified, but it's the very fact that the Beis HaMikdash owns them means that they're sanctified. So it doesn't matter whether the goal has been accomplished. There's no milestone of saying that since they were used properly for what they were intended for, there's now no more me'ila. That's not a category when it comes to Kodshei Berek because the whole reason there was me'ila is because it's the property of the Beis HaMikdash. So even if its goal has been accomplished, it's still the property of the Beis HaMikdash, so we're not going to apply Naseis Mitzvah to the Berek So that's Rab Chaim's key distinction between Kodshei Mizbeach versus Kodshei Berek Habayis. Kodshei Mizbeach are goal or 
oriented. So once the goal's been accomplished, there's no more me'ila. But Kodshei Berek are about the ownership of the Beis HaMikdash. They're not goal-oriented, so they don't lose the laws of me'ila once their goal's been accomplished. And the proof for this, says Rab Chaim, is the Gemara in Me'ila Tesvav Aleph, which rules that Kodshei Mizbeach, once the animal dies, there's no more me'ila. So a dead animal, which was intended for a sacrifice, there's no me'ila. Whereas Kodshei Berek even if the animal dies, there's still me'ila. And the reason the Gemara explains is because it's no worse than a trash heap, which also has me'ila. So if someone sanctifies their garbage to the upkeep of the Beis HaMikdash, to Kodshei Berek it does have me'ila. So a dead animal is no worse than that. So if a Kodshei Mizbeach dies, it loses me'ila because it's no longer fit for a carbon. Whereas if a Kodshei Berek dies, it still does have me'ila, same as the garbage would have me'ila. So Tosos questions this comparison between the dead animal and the garbage because garbage can be redeemed. You can evaluate how much it's worth and someone can buy it off the Beis HaMikdash and the money is sanctified instead. So the garbage does have value and it makes sense that it has the laws of hektish. But the dead animal cannot be redeemed because it can't stand and be evaluated. It's now dead. So since there's no worth to this dead animal, why should it still have the status of hektish of Kodshei Berekabayis that the laws of Me'ila apply? So Tosos answers that the issue of whether Kodshei Berekabayis need to stand in front of the Kohen to be evaluated in order to be redeemed is a debate. So maybe this Gemara follows the view that they do not need Ha'amada Ve'ha'aracha. So Kodshei Berekabayis can be redeemed even without being evaluated properly by the Kohen. So in this case, even though the animal's dead, it can still be redeemed because it's Kodshei Berekabayis, which don't need to stand in front of the Kohen. So that's why there is value to this dead animal. It's the same as the heap of garbage. So that's why the Gemara says that both of them are going to have me'ila if they're Kodshei Berekabayis. But Rab Chaim points out that the Rambam cannot agree with Tosus's answer because the Rambam in Hilchus Erchen Perek Hay rules that Kodshei Berekabayis do need Ha'amad they would need to stand and be evaluated by the Kohen in order to be redeemed. But in Me'ila Perak Gimel, the Rambam rules that Kodshe Mizbeach, which die, no longer have the laws of Me'ila. So it sounds like Kodshe Berek which die, do have the laws of Me'ila. That's the inference from the language of the Rambam. He only says that dead Kodshe Mizbeach no longer have Me'ila. But it sounds like what the Gemara said, that dead Kodshe Berek do still have the laws of Me'ila. So the Rambam is ruling that halacha of the Gemara even according to the position that the dead animal does need to stand in front of the Kohen in order to be redeemed. So according to the Rambam's internal rulings, we're back to Tosus's question, since this animal died, it can no longer be redeemed. So why does it have a value that the laws of Me'ila still apply to it? So says Rab Chaim very brilliantly that the Rambam's explanation of that Gemara is going to be like he explained, that there is no rule that once the mitzvah's been done or the goal's been accomplished, the Kodshei Berekabayis lose their sanctity because the whole point of Kodshei Berekabayis is that they belong to the Beis HaMikdash. So that's exactly the distinction between Kodshei Mizbeach versus Kodshei Berekabayis when the animal dies. Since the Kodshei Mizbeach was intended to be a carbon, now 
now that the animal died, it can no longer be a carbon, so it loses its sanctity. Since it's goal-oriented, and the goal is not going to be done with this animal, so the animal no longer has sanctity, and there's no more me'ila with this dead animal. But kudshe berekabais are not goal-oriented. The point is not that since this animal is going to be able to accomplish what it was intended for, therefore it's considered sanctified, but it's that since the Beis HaMikdash owns this animal, regardless of any goal or purpose, therefore it's sanctified, so that doesn't change even though the animal died. So even though this animal is no longer useful for anything, it's still the property of the Beis HaMikdash, even though it now died. So therefore, the laws of Me'ila still apply. So the way the Rambam reads that distinction in the Gemara between the dead Kodshim Mizbeach versus the dead Kodshim Berekabayis, according to the view that the Kodshim Berekabayis can no longer be redeemed, is a proof to Rab Chaim's overall idea that the Kodshim Mizbeach are goal-oriented. Once they can no longer do their goal or the goal's been accomplished, they lose their hektish and there's no more Me'ila, as opposed to Kodshim Berekabayis, which are not goal-oriented. The reason for their sanctity is that they're the property of the Beis HaMikdash, so it doesn't matter if they can no longer do their goal or if they accomplish their goal. In all cases, they're still sanctified and the laws of Me'ilah still apply. So now Rab Chaim points out that the parallel between these two cases where the animal died versus where it was used properly, so nases mitzvah, and the mitzvah is over, they're not the exact same because there is a big difference in their status. The kudshe mizbeach that die are still sanctified. There's just no more rules of me'ila. But it's not that the sanctity totally left. As opposed to nases mitzvah, where it's not just that there's no more me'ila, but the whole sanctity is gone. So the reason why there's no me'ila is because it's not sanctified at all. So there is a key difference between these two cases in the sense that in one of them, the whole sanctity is gone when the mitzvah was done properly. And in the other, the sanctity is still there, but there's a technicality that there's no more me'ila, which is when the kachim is beyach dies. But still, says Rab Chaim, even though there is a big difference between them, but there also is a very similar conceptual idea behind both both of these halachas, that since we see in the case where the Kodshe Berekabayis died, that there's still Me'ila, even though there's no more purpose for this animal, it's not going to be able to fulfill the goal it was intended for. So we can extrapolate also to the case where Nases Mitzvahsan, the goal was fulfilled, that still the laws of Me'ila are going to continue to apply. So even though the cases are different, we can still group them together the way Rab Chaim's been doing for his conceptual distinction. So now applying this distinction back to the question of Tosos and Menachos Nun Aleph that Rab Chaim began Begin with, he says that now we could answer Tosfos's question differently than Tosfos answered. Tosfos wondered why the Gemara needs a special pasuk to derive that after the paraduma is burned, there's no longer the laws of meila. When that's the standard halacha of every carbon, that once it's burned, the laws of meila no longer apply. So why would we have thought that paraduma is different? Says Rav Chaim that based on this distinction that he's making, so we could answer Tosfos's question very nicely because. 
since the para aduma has the status of kodesh berekabayis, so we do not apply the concept of nases mitzvasan to kodesh berekabayis. The only time we apply the rule that once the animal is burned, it no longer has the laws of meila is kodesh mizbeach, because since the purpose of those animals is to be a carbon, so once they're burned, the mitzvah is accomplished and there's no more meila. But kodesh berekabayis are the ownership of the beis hamikdash, so there is no goal which once it's accomplished, removes the me'ila. So there's no reason to think that the para'aduma would have lost its status as kodesh berekabayis once it was burned. Because since it's kodesh berekabayis, it operates under a totally different principle than kodesh mizbeach. So we would have thought that once it was burned, it still has the laws of me'ila like kodesh berekabayis. That's why the Gemara Menachos has to explicitly exclude the para'aduma that since the Torah called it a chatas, so it has the rule of a chatas, even though the paradum is kodesh berekabayis. Once it's burned, it loses the rules of meila, like a kodesh mizbeach. So that's exactly what the gemara is saying, and that answers Tosis's question. So now continues Rab Chaim. Once we have this reading of the gemara with a different answer to Tosis's question than the way Tosos answered it, so now we could apply this back into the Rambam, and this is what the Rambam means to ask and answer. The Rambam asks, why should the para aduma lose the laws of Me'ila once it's burned? Even though it's considered a chatas, and a regular chatas does lose the laws of Me'ila when it's burned, but the para aduma also has the status of Kodshe Berekabayis. And as Rab Chaim's been saying, Kodshe Berekabayis don't lose the laws of Me'ila once their purpose has been accomplished. So even when the para aduma is burned, so we could call that Naseis Mitzvasan, unlike Tosvos, who argued that that's still the middle of the process. But according to the Rambam, we could even agree that that's considered Naseis Mitzvasan. Still, says the Rambam, why should it lose the status of Me'ila since it also is Kodshe Berekabayis? And Kodshe Berekabayis, it doesn't matter whether Naseis Mitzvasan, even once the goal has been accomplished, they still have the laws of Me'ila. So that's what the Rambam answers, exactly what the Gemara and Menachos is saying, that since the Torah called it a Chatas, that's an explicit ruling that the laws of Me'ila do not apply once it's burned, just like the chatas, even though that's an exception to the general rule of kodesh berekabayis. So this line in the Rambam is recording the Gemara in Menachos' ruling exactly the way Rab Chaim explained it with the same question and answer. So the difference between the first approach and the second approach is that in the first approach, Rab Chaim is working with Tosos' explanation for the Gemara in Menachos. The reason we would have thought that the laws of Me'ila still apply to the paraduma even after it's burned is because it's not Naseis Mitzvasan, and the answer is that even so, the laws of Mila don't apply because it's called a chatas. So he read that approach of Tosvos into the halacha of the Rambam. The second approach, on the other hand, is more fundamental, and it offers an alternative answer to Tosvos's, which is that in general, Kodshe Berekabayis never have the rule of Naseis Mitzvasan, so we wouldn't have even thought to apply that leniency to the para aduma because it's Kodshe Berekabayis. So unlike Tosvos, we would have assumed that the para aduma should continue to have the laws of Me'ila even after it's burned, like regular Kodshe Berekabayis. And the answer is that since the Torah called it a chatas, so it explicitly applied the leniency that there's no more Me'ila after it's burned like a chatas. And that's the question and answer that Rab Chaim reads into the language of the Rambam. So it's not Tosvos' approach that now the Rambam is reflecting, but it's an alternative reading of the Gemara in Menachos different than Tosvos's, and that's how the Rambam read that Gemara, so that's what he means to say in that last phrase. But either way, the 
the Rambam is not implying like the Kesef Mishnah that Kodshe Berekabayis don't have Me'ila. That would not be correct. Of course, there's Me'ila on Kodshe Berekabayis because the Rambam is not asking, as the Kesef Mishnah assumed, that why should Paraduma have Me'ila to begin with if it's Kodshe Berekabayis, but rather the Rambam is asking the other way. Why should Paraduma not have Me'ila after it's burned if it's Kodshe Berekabayis? So the implication, according to the second reading of Rab Chaim, is that Kodshe Berekabayis do continue to have Me'ila even after Naseis Mitzvahsan, even after they're burned. So it's not that it's a leniency in Kodshe Berekabayis, like the Kesef Mishnah said, but it's actually a stringency in Kodshe Berekabayis. That only Kodshe Mizbeach lose the Me'ila after the Mitzvah is done. But Kodshe Berekabayis, even once the goal's been accomplished, since it's still the property of the Beis HaMikdash, so Me'ila continues to apply. So those are Rab Chaim's two approaches to explain the Rambam, one working within Tosvos, one a new suggestion as to how to read the Gemara, and both of them explain that the Rambam is asking a different question than the way the Kesef Mishnah interpreted it, so that there won't be an implication that there's no Me'ila for Kodshe Berekabayis in that line of the Rambam. Now, the key conceptual point in this piece is that the Gemara says that once the Paraduma is burned, there's no more Me'ila because it's called a Chatas, and once the Chatas is burned, there's no more Me'ila. But Rab Chaim has two formulations as to why we would have thought that Me'ila would apply even after the Paraduma was burned. The first is according to Tosvos, that since the Paraduma's process is not over, the mitzvah is not completed until the ashes are used in the sprinkling. So those ashes are in the middle of the process of the mitzvah. So we would have thought that there's still sanctity because the Besamikdash still has use for those ashes. So that's why Me'ila should have applied because it's still in the middle of the mitzvah. So there's continued use for those ashes. The second explanation is that since the Paraduma has the status of Kodshe Berek Habayis, so that category doesn't lose its sanctity even once the mitzvah is completed. So even if we say that the Paraduma being burned is the completion of some aspect of the mitzvah, it's not going to remove the sanctity because it's Kodshe Berek Habayis, and that whole category is less goal-oriented than the Kodshe Mizbeach, so fulfilling the mitzvah is not going to affect its status. So those are the key points that Rab Chaim raises. There's there's one other minor point that he makes, which is the Gemara calls the Paraduma Chatas, but Rab Chaim argues just based on his own logical intuition that that category only applies to the Paraduma while it's in the midst of being processed. So as it's functioning like a carbon, so it's being burned or it's being processed in the Beis HaMikdash, then it's called in Halacha a chatas. But before that or after that, it's not going to be called a chatas because it has nothing in common with a carbon. So Rab Chaim just says that briefly in this piece, his son, the Briskerov in Chidush Emeron Rizalevi on the Rambam, Hilchus Masa Karbonos. So he quotes basically the same idea from Rab Chaim in another context to answer another question on the Rambam and the laws of Paraduma. So obviously this was one of the ideas that Rab Chaim had. He doesn't make a big deal about it in this piece. He just puts it in as part of the analysis, but obviously he used it to answer other questions on the Rambam elsewhere. Now in the contemporary Sfarim, there are some questions on this assumption of Rab Chaim. So for example, the Rishonim have a question, why can't there be a Tamura, a substitute for the para aduma, if it's the same as a chatas. Now, the point when you make a substitute is before the carbon is being processed in the Beis Hamikdash. It's just an animal walking around. So the fact that the Rishonim apply this concept of chatas to the para aduma even before it's being slaughtered and processed in the Beis Hamikdash. 
seems to go against Rab Chaim's assumption that at that point we wouldn't apply the category of chatas to the paraduma yet. So there are some questions about this because elsewhere in the Rishonim it seems to indicate unlike Rab Chaim's assumption. Now in the back of the Or Olam edition of Chidusha Ben Chaim HaLevi they have a few other points of discussion. They quote that Rav Gifter had a comment on his Rab Chaim that he found something very interesting in the newly discovered commentary of the Mari Korkis on the Rambam. So in Rab Chaim's time, they had not found this yet, but now it's been published. So he really suggests a very similar approach to a lot of the ideas that Rab Chaim is discussing. So it's always interesting to see that even though Rab Chaim was such a revolutionary and he had such a new way of approaching the Rambam and analyzing halachic concepts, but he was still trotting in the same well-developed path of the great commentators. And this is another example of where his ideas line up with the ideas of an earlier commentator, which is the Mari Korkis. So even though the Kesef Mishnah understands the Rambam differently, but the Mari Korkis seems to read it like Rab Chaim, and he has a lot of the same similar ideas. Now, he does mention another idea, which some of the commentators suggest, that maybe the Rambam is intending to include the case of Moel Achar Moel. So basically, if someone does Me'ila on something which has Kedushas Damim, so it belongs to the Beis HaMikdash, but it's not inherently sanctified, so that item now loses its sanctity, and if another person then uses it, there's no second Me'ila for Kedushas Damim. Whereas Para Aduma seems to be the exception that even though in general it has the status of Kodshei Berekabayis, but there is a Me'ila after a Me'ila, there can be multiple Me'ilas because it's compared to Achatas. So that's one of the ways that Tosos interprets the significance of calling the Paraduma Achatas, that there can be multiple Me'ilas. So that's another way to explain the Rambam, that what he means to say is that there could be multiple Me'ilas on the para aduma from the time it's sanctified until it's burned, there's moel achar moel. So on that, the Rambam asks, why should there be multiple me'ilas if it's koche berekabayis and normally it's one me'ila and then the item loses its sanctity? So the Rambam answers because it's called a chatas. So that's another way to explain the Rambam, which is very much in line with Rab Chaim. So this is a very nice support for Rab Chaim's whole approach for the Rambam, that he's dealing with the opposite question as how the Kesef Mishnah read it, the fact that the Mari Korkis also explains it that way. So Rab Chaim is not saying something totally new and original, which no one ever said, but he's in line with one of the great commentators on the Rambam. Now, Rab Chaim's major idea in this piece is that we don't apply the concept of Nases Mitzvahsan, that once the mitzvah is performed or there's no more use for this item, there's no more Me'ila, we do not apply that to Kodshei Berek because since the whole sanctity is rooted in the ownership of the base Mikdash, so it doesn't matter if they're unusable. They're still Me'ila so long as it belongs to the Beis Mikdash. So in the Or Olam edition, they do quote that the later Rosh Yeshiva have a number of questions on this, and I'll just mention one very basic one. The Stipler and Kilos Yaakov Milosim and Vav, as well as the Chazon Ish and Rav Gifter in the margins of their Rab Chaim, so they raise the issue that the Gemara and Psachim Davchav Tes discusses whether Chametz on Pesach that belongs to the Beis Mikdash has Me'ila because it's totally unusable. Now that's a case of Kodshei Berek because Chametz is not used on the Mizbeach, so it's talking about Kedusha Sedamim. So according to Rab Chaim, it should be clear that there still is Me'ila even though it's unusable because it's the property of the Beis HaMikdash. So the fact that the Gemara suggests that because it's Pesach and this Chametz is unusable, so there shouldn't be Me'ila, so that implies that the Gemara's assumption is that the unusable 
usable category is a leniency even for Kodshei Bedek Habayis. And that goes against Rab Chaim's whole idea that unusable is not a leniency for Me'ila in Kodshei Bedek Habayis. So the stipler quotes that someone then showed him that in the back of Rab Chaim's son, the Brisker Rav's Sefer, Chedushim Aran Rizalevi Al Rambam, there's a collection of letters back and forth. And in one of the letters, someone asked him this question. So the Brisker Rav already deals with this. And he answered that the reason the Gemara says there would be no Me'ila on Chametz on Pesach is not because it's unusable, like the case of the animal that died no longer has Me'ila. But it's something different because since Chametz on Pesach has no value according to Halacha, so when the person benefits from the Hektish, they haven't used a minimum of a pruta, the basic minimum of currency in Halacha. So that's why there would be no Me'ila because they haven't taken anything financially. So that's why the Gemara is saying that Chametz on Pesach doesn't have Me'ila, not because it's unusable or it's like the case of an animal which died, which would have contradicted Rab Chaim's explanation, but it's something totally different over there because there is no financial value to that Chametz on Pesach, so whoever benefited from it did not benefit the minimum of a pruta's worth of benefit. So the stipler asks on that answer that the same thing should apply to an animal of Kodshei Berekabais that died. Because since it can't be redeemed, so it has no financial value. So anyone benefiting from it is not getting a Shave Pruta's worth of benefit, same as the Chametz on Pesach. So he says that someone suggested an answer based on something that Rab Chaim Ozer and the Achiezer suggests, which is that there's a basic difference between the prohibition of benefiting from Hektish versus Chametz on Pesach, that something which is prohibited because it's hectish doesn't lose all financial value. Because if it wasn't hectish, then of course it would have value like anything else. So the fact that it's hectish doesn't mean that it's worthless in halacha. Only chametz on Pesach has the special status that it's considered valueless in halacha. And the stipler adds that Rabbi Meir Simcha and the Orsameach also makes this distinction. So if we apply the Orsameach and the Achiezer's distinction that chametz on Pesach Pesach is valueless, whereas something which only has no value because it belongs to Hektish is still considered to have a worth in Halacha. So that would explain the Brisker Rav's solution to this problem, that it makes sense that the Gemara would say Chametz on Pesach doesn't have Me'ila because it has no value, whereas an animal of Kodshei Berekabais that died, even though practically there's no value, but the Halachic status is that it is worth something, so therefore there's Me'ila. Now, Rav Shach in Avi Ezri questions Rav Chaim's explanation for why Kodshe Mizbeach that die don't have Me'ila, whereas Kodshe Berekabayis that die still have Me'ila. So Rav Shach suggests a slightly different formulation, which is that Kodshe Mizbeach are intended for use as a sacrifice. So when they're sanctified, the primary mitzvah is still to come. So if the animal dies before that, it's not considered as if the property of Hashem ever really took hold because it didn't reach the goal of being a sacrifice. Even though the animal was sanctified, but that was just the setup to bring it as a carbon later on. And since that never happened, so it's not considered fully Hashem's property. As opposed to Kodshei Berekabayis, where the whole point of the mitzvah is to give them to the Beis HaMikdash. So once it's sanctified, the mitzvah has been fully accomplished. 
So it becomes fully the property of Hashem. So even though the Kodshei Berakabayis might have a goal that it's intended for, but the overall mitzvah is to give it to the Beis Mikdash, and that was accomplished as soon as it was sanctified. So even if it dies after that, it's still considered fully the property of Hashem, and there still would be Me'ilah. So that's how Rav Shach explains that distinction. Now, there's a very important point which is made in the new Rav Chaim with the commentary of the Atzei HaChaim on the bottom, and he raises something which is very important, and that is Reb Chaim's basic distinction between Kodshei Mizbeach and Kodshei Berek Habayis reflects a much larger distinction that Reb Chaim made between them, and this distinction we know from Reb Chaim's Talmidim, Reb Baruch Ber, his primary disciple, quotes this in the Birka Shmuel, and the Torah Zroim, and the Imre Moshe, so there's a number of sources which quote this idea from Reb Chaim, he felt that the sanctity of Kedusha Sedamim only comes because the Beis HaMikdash owns the property. Whereas the sanctity of Kedushas HaGuf is independent of whether or not the Beis HaMikdash owns it, even if the owner of the animal continues to financially own the carbon, it's still sanctified because it has Kedushas HaGuf. So this is a very key distinction between Kedushas Damim and Kedushas HaGuf. And there's really two ways to formulate it. One option is that Rab Chaim holds at the end of the day, both Kedushas HaGuf and Kedushas Damim belong to the Beis HaMikdash, but how they get there is different. So Kedushas Damim, which is roughly equivalent to Kodshei Berek Habayis, the process through which it becomes the Beis HaMikdash's property is that the person gives it over financially to the Beis HaMikdash, and once the Beis HaMikdash takes ownership of it, so the sanctity follows from the ownership of the Beis HaMikdash. Whereas Kedushas HaGuf, which is roughly parallel to Kodshem Izbeach works the other way. That first the person makes it sanctified and then since it's sanctified, it then becomes the property of the Beis HaMikdash. So according to this formulation, in both categories of sanctity, ultimately it ends up sanctified and belonging to the Beis HaMikdash. The only question is how it got there. Kedushas HaGuf starts off with sanctity and because of the sanctity it belongs to the Beis HaMikdash. Kedushas Damim starts off the financial property of the Beis HaMikdash, and because it belongs to the Beis HaMikdash, therefore it has sanctity. Now, that's Chaim points out that the Torah Zroim and the Birka Shmuel, they both quote Rab Chaim as saying something even one step further than this, and that is that when it comes to Kedushas HaGuf, the Beis HaMikdash never actually even owns the animal. So the owner of the animal always owns the carbon, but it's sanctified, so that's why there's Me'ila if he benefits from it. Even though it doesn't belong to the Beis HaMikdash. But because there's inherent sanctity to this animal, so if he benefits from it, he now violates Me'ilah. Whereas Kedushas Damim, the whole basis of Me'ilah works differently since it belongs to the Beis HaMikdash if he benefits from it, so he's using the property of the Beis HaMikdash. But at the end of the day, there remains a major difference between Kedushas HaGuf versus Kedushas Damim that Kedushas Damim belongs to the Beis HaMikdash, whereas Kedushas HaGuf financially belongs to the owner of the animal. So now either of these formulations leads to the basic idea that when it comes to Kodshei Berek Habayis, the central source of the sanctity is the ownership of the Beis HaMikdash, as opposed to Kodshei HaGuf, where the central source of the sanctity is the purpose for which this animal was sanctified. So that's exactly the distinction that Rab Chaim reflects in this piece. That's why he says that if Kodshei Mizbeach, the animal dies, 
So there's no more me'ila because there's no more use for this animal as a carbon. Likewise, if the mitzvah is accomplished, so the Kodshem Mizbeach loses its sanctity because there's no more purpose anymore for its sanctity. But none of that applies to Kodshem Berekabayis because the whole point of that sanctity is the ownership of the Beis HaMikdash. So it doesn't matter whether it's able to be used so long as it's the financial property of the Beis HaMikdash, there's still going to be me'ila. So it seems very clear that Rab Chaim's distinction in this piece is very much based on the broader distinction that he made between Kedushas Damim versus Kedushas Haguf. Now, I'm going to hold off on a fuller discussion of this broader idea of Rab Chaim because it touches on the next piece in Hilchos Mi'ila as well. And there even seems to be a contradiction between the next piece in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi against this broader distinction Rab Chaim made, which is quoted by a number of his Talmidim. So after we see the next piece, we'll then go back and do a supplement and try to make sense of Rab Chaim's views on this topic and how it fits in with the two pieces in Hilchos Mi'ila. So we'll address this issue more fully in a later recording. Now, the Chazon Yechezkel and his Chidushim on Zvachim and Hamad Aleph, so he uses these ideas that we just mentioned in Rab Chaim to explain the Gemara there says that Kodshe Mizbeach of a non-Jew do not have Me'ila, whereas Kodshe Berakabais of a non-Jew do have Me'ila. So the Chazon Yechezkel says that according to Rab Chaim's approach, we could explain this now very nicely. Because since the essence of Me'ila for Kodshe Mizbeach is because this animal is sanctified, so that's why there's a difference between whether a Jew or a non-Jew sanctified sanctified it, only the sanctification of a Jew is enough to create Me'ila. But when it comes to Kod Shebedekabayis, the reason for Me'ila is not because of the sanctity, it's because it's the property of the Beis HaMikdash. So there it doesn't matter who the original owner was, whether they were a Jew or a non-Jew. Once they give the property over to the Beis HaMikdash, so anyone that uses it has violated Me'ila. So this is another instance where Ab Chaim's approach will explain this distinction very nicely. Now, there's one final source which is very interesting and worth mentioning. This is a piece from Rab Chaim's son, Rab Moshe Salavechik, which was printed in an early Torah journal, and it's now printed in Chidushe Hagram Halevi, his Sefer on the Rambam. And he addresses the same question that his father's dealing with, the Kesef Mishnah's question on the Rambam, why he seems to indicate that there's no me'ila for Kodshe Berek But Rab Moshe's solution is very interesting because in many ways it's very similar to his father, but there's also some key differences. So it's interesting to see how he uses the same basic ideas as his father, but comes to a totally different reading of the Rambam. And it's also interesting historically because he doesn't quote his father in this piece. So he doesn't seem to be aware that his father was dealing with the same ideas that he was, even though he was a very close Talmud of his father. You always wonder in these situations if maybe he heard something from his father and then forgot later on. But either way, Reb Moshe and his analysis reproduces a lot of Rab Chaim's key points, but he reworks them in a different way and he adds his own twist to the whole thing. So I just want to go through some of the key points of Rab Moshe's analysis to show the overlap and the difference between his and Rab Chaim's approaches. Rab Moshe begins with the same question of the Kesef Mishnah and like Rab Chaim, he immediately goes to the Tosos and Menachos Nun Aleph but Rab Moshe's analysis of that Tosos is a little different than his father. He assumes the same same thing that Rab Chaim did, that the category of chatas only applies when the para aduma is being slaughtered, but before that it's not cons- 
considered a chatas. So in terms of that assumption, he's like his father, but he actually only assumes that within Tosvos, he thinks that the Rambam disagrees with that. So that's obviously a difference between them because Rab Chaim is clearly saying it within the Rambam as well. Now, according to Rab Moshe, because Tosvos holds that the para aduma is a chatas only when it's being slaughtered, so the reason there's me'ila before it's being slaughtered is because it's kodshe berek So the timeline would be that at first the para aduma has me'ila because it's kodshe berek and then when it's being slaughtered, it has me'ila because it's a chatas. The Rambam, on the other hand, disagrees, and he holds that the only reason a para aduma ever has me'ila is because the Torah called it a chatas. So the whole concept of me'ila in the para aduma is synonymous with it being in the category of a chatas. So that's the initial debate between the Rambam and Tosvos, the way Reb Moshe analyzes it. So now, like his father, the next step in Reb Moshe's analysis is the whole issue of the Kodshe Mizbeach animal that died. And he goes through basically the same steps that the Gemara differentiates between Kodshe Mizbeach that died versus Kodshe Berekabayis that died. Tosvos explains that that's according to the position that Kodshe Berekabayis can be redeemed even without being properly evaluated. Whereas the Rambam disagrees with that approach because he makes the same distinction even according to the opinion that Kodshe Berekabayis do need to be evaluated. So he goes through really the same steps of Rab Chaim. And then he basically arrives arrives at the same distinction as Rab Chaim with the sharper formulation that we just mentioned a few minutes ago. And that is that Kodshe Berek the root of their sanctity is that they're owned by the Beis HaMikdash. So the Me'ila is the fact that someone benefited from property of the Beis HaMikdash. Whereas Kodshe Mizbeach, the root of their sanctity is the fact that they're sanctified regardless of whether they're owned by the Beis HaMikdash. So the problem with benefiting from them is not that someone's using the property of the Beis HaMikdash, but that they're using something sanctified. So he really comes to the same endpoint as Rab Chaim, and that's how he accounts for the distinction between whether Kodshe Mizbeach died versus Kodshe Berek dying, that since the dead animal still belongs to the Beis HaMikdash, so it has Me'ila of Kodshe Berek but since it can't be used for the purpose of a Korban, it doesn't have Me'ila of Kodshe Mizbeach. So now is where Rab Moshe diverges the most from his father's analysis in his last step, and he explains that this is how to read the Rambam. That the Rambam is saying there's a difference between the para aduma and regular kodshe berek because normally a person, an individual, owns an item and they give it to the Beis HaMikdash so now it's the property of the Beis HaMikdash. Whereas the para aduma is the rare kodshe berek which is bought with communal funds. So according to Reb Moshe that never becomes the full property of the Beis HaMikdash. It remains the communal property and that's why the Rambam thought there should be no me'ila. So the basis for the Rambam's question, why is there me'ila at all in the paraduma if it's kodshe berek the way to read this according to Reb Moshe is the Rambam is saying since the whole basis of me'ila for kodshe berek is that the Beis HaMikdash owns the property, it's not because of its sanctity, it's because of the ownership of the Beis HaMikdash, but the paraduma is different than regular kodshe berek because it's owned by the community, so why should there be me'ila for the para aduma. So the answer is, like the Gemara Menacho says, because the Torah categorized it as a chatas, so therefore the para aduma does have me'ila like a carbon chatas. So that's the way Reb Moshe Salavechik makes sense of that line in the Rambam. He then goes on to ask that it's not clear that communal funds which are given to the Beis HaMikdash don't belong to the Beis HaMikdash. So he does tweak this approach a little bit because it does seem like when the community buys something and gives it to the Beis HaMikdash, it does belong 
to the Beis HaMikdash, same as when an individual gives it to the Beis HaMikdash. But either way, that's the basic approach of Reb Moshe. So at the end of the day, he is reading the Rambam the way the Kesef Mishnah reads it, that the Rambam is asking, why is there Me'ila at all for a para aduma? Not the way Rab Chaim read it, that the Rambam is asking, why is there no Me'ila on the ashes of the para aduma? So Reb Moshe reads the Rambam like the standard reading as the Kesef Mishnah read it, but he's answering the Kesef Mishnah's question because the Rambam is not saying that no Kodshei Bedek Habayis have Me'ila. He's just saying that the para aduma would have been an exception because it's bought with communal funds. So it's very fascinating to see how Reb Chaim's son, Reb Moshe, goes along so many of the same points as his father, the same sources, develops the same conceptual ideas, but at the end of the day, he comes out with a different reading of the Rambam, which fits in with the way the Kesef Mishnah interpreted the question and answer of the Rambam. Now, the editors of Chidusha Agrama Levi point out that Reb Moshe had a correspondence about this issue with the Dvar Avram, Reb Avram Dov Kahana Shapiro, who was the last Rav of Kovna before the Holocaust. And Kovna was an extremely prestigious rabbinate. It was a very learned city and a very large Jewish community. It was the top rabbinate in Lithuania and probably the second most prominent rabbinate after Vilna in all of Europe. So the Rav of Kovna was basically the chief rabbi of Lithuania. And it went from Reb Yitzchak Elchanan Specter, the leading posek in Europe, to his son Reb Tzvi Hirsch, and then to the Dvar Avram. And the Dvar Avram was actually a cousin of the Soloveitchiks because his father was Reb Zalman Sender Kahana Shapiro, who came from the family of Reb Chaim Valozhner, so they were relatives of the Soloveitchiks, and he was a son-in-law of the Godolmi Minsk, Reb Yeruchun Leib Perlman. So the Dvar Avram came from a very prominent family, and when he published the first volume of his Chuvis Dvar Avram, when he was a relatively young man, so it made a big splash, and from there he went on to be the Rav of Kovno. So in Dvar Avram Chelek Aleph Simon Zion, towards the end in Ostes, so he also deals with this Rambam and the question of the Kesef Mishnah, and he takes a totally different approach than the Soloveitchiks. So apparently Reb Moshe Soloveitchik wrote him a letter addressing some of his ideas in Dvar Avram Chelek Aleph, one of which was on this Rambam, and this wasn't unusual. A lot of what he does in Dvar Avram Chelek Beis is respond to letters that he got about his first volume. So Reb Moshe was one of the people that wrote to him, and he was also his relative. And as we know, Reb Moshe had some ideas of his own about this Rambam. And the Dvar Avram responded to Reb Moshe's letter in Chelek Bey's Simen Chaf Dalid. So that shuva is to Reb Moshe Salavechik. And there's also a number of letters from Reb Moshe Salavechik about this topic of Me'ila, especially his ideas about how to resolve this Rambam that are printed in Chidusha Agrama Levi at the end of Hilchus Me'ila. So it's possible that one of those letters is the one to the Dvar Avram or a response to the Dvar Avram. But either way, this discussion back and forth is very interesting because the Dvar Avram makes a few points to counter Reb Moshe's analysis, many of which would also apply to Reb Chaim's analysis. So we have somewhat of a response from the Dvar Avram to a Sefer that he never saw of Chidusha Ben Chaim HaLevi. So I just want to mention some of the key points that the Dvar Avram makes. In Os Yud, the Dvar Avram disagrees with the whole assumption that both Reb Chaim and Reb Moshe make that the Rambam holds that Kodshei Bedek Habayis that die, there's still Me'ila, as opposed to Kodshei Mizbeach that die. Now, the reason Rab Chaim and Rab Moshe are saying this is because the Rambam writes that Kodshei Mizbeach that die, there's no more Me'ila. So they understand the implication to be that Kodshei Bedek Habayis that die, there still is Me'ila. But the Dvar Avram disagrees with them, and he points out that the Kesef Mishnah says that the Rambam holds the other way, that even Kodshei Bedek Habayis that die, there's no Me'ila, same as Kodshei 
Mizbeach. And then he quotes that this is a debate between the Zeva Chabayis and the Karen Ora. So basically, there's different ways to read this Rambam, but there is a view that holds that in the Rambam, Kodshe Bere Kabais, that die, there's no more Me'ila. And this whole distinction between Kodshe Mizbeach, Kodshe Bere Kabais, was a very important part of Rab Chaim and Rab Moshe's analysis, which led them to the conclusion that the Me'ila works differently in those two categories. And Kodshe Bere Kabais is all about the fact that the Beis HaMikdash owns it. So if there is actually no distinction between them, then that would undermine their analysis. And it's interesting because part of the Dvar Avram's argument against Rab Chaim and Rab Moshe's reading is specifically because the Rambam holds that you require a real evaluation for Kodshe Bere Kabais. So once the animal dies, they're not able to redeem it. So it's of no value to Hektish. So this is one of the Dvar Avram's main points why the Rambam should hold that Kodshe Bere Kabais that die, there's no more Me'ila. So it's interesting to see how the Dvar Avram has a totally different perspective of this whole issue than the Soloveitchik's. Now, in Os Yud Aleph, the Dvar Avram disagrees with the Soloveitchik's assumption that the category of Chattas only applies to a Paraduma during the process of it being sacrificed like a carbon. Because the Dvar Avram actually holds somewhat the opposite. He holds that the category of Chattas applies to the ashes of the Paraduma. But when the Paraduma is alive, the reason there's Me'ila is because it's Kodshebera Kabayis. So this goes against the whole assumption of the Soloveitchik's that the category of Chattas could only apply to the animal when it's being treated like a carbon, not when it's ashes after it's been burned, whereas the Dvar Avram applies the category of chattas specifically to when it's ashes. So Reb Moshe apparently raised this issue with him, and he asked, how does it make sense logically, according to the Dvar Avram, that when the animal was alive, it's considered kodshe bedek and then after it's burned, it becomes a chattas. So the Dvar Avram responds, very interesting, he says, don't ask questions about why the Torah says certain things, especially not about the Paraduma, which is the quintessential mitzvah that we don't understand the reason for. So the Dvar Avram sort of disagrees with the whole assumption that the Soloveitchiks make about when to apply the category of Chattas by just saying that the Torah can say whatever it wants and we shouldn't make assumptions about when the Halachas apply based on what makes sense to us. Now it's interesting because Rab Chaim himself was very against that whole idea of explaining why the Torah said things and here he's not really explaining a why regarding the Paraduma. He's just trying to form what the Torah said, which was in general his whole conceptual approach. But it's just interesting to see this discussion back and forth. Now, one final point from the Dvar Avram, Reb Moshe writes to him the Soloveitchik's idea that we don't apply Naseh Smitzvasan, that once the mitzvah is over, there's no more Me'ila to Kodshe Berekabayis. And the Dvar Avram in Osir Aleph doesn't really disagree with this, but he does question that that goes against Tosfos, which is how Reb Chaim himself sees it, that Tosfos doesn't really hold of that idea. So the Dvar Avram questions this, that it seems to go against Tosfos, but then he says that it really makes sense, it's a very logical idea, and he has a way to read Tosfos in it. So that's some of the Dvar Avram's reactions to some of the points in Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi that Reb Moshe Soloveitchik had written to him. Now, one final point, once I anyways got caught up in Reb Moshe Soloveitchik and got totally off topic here, one final point comparing Reb Moshe Soloveitchik's letters to his brother, the Briskerov's letters, we saw earlier that someone asked the Briskerov why 
chametz on Pesach shouldn't have me'ila according to Rab Chaim, since it's Kodshei Berakabayis. So in Chidusha Agrama Levi, page 143, there's a letter where someone asks him the same question. This guy is arguing against the Soloveitchik's idea that Kodshei Berakabayis is a different type of sanctity than Kodshei Mizbeach. He's saying that they're all the same thing since they're sanctified for Hashem's use. So anyone who benefits from them violates the rules of Meila. And it doesn't matter that Kodshei Mizbeach are going to be used for sacrifices and Kodshei Berakabayis are for the upkeep of the Beis Mikdash, Since they're designated for Hashem's use, using them violates Meila. And he raises the same issue from the Gemara Pesachim, which seems to say that Chametz on Pesach, which is Kodshei Berakabayis, would not have Meila because it has no use. So at first, Reb Moshe writes back to him exactly like his brother, the Brisker Rav, that the question in Pesachim is not whether there's a use for this chametz on Pesach, like an animal that died, but rather the question is whether it has any value. And since chametz on Pesach is valueless, so anyone using the chametz hasn't violated the laws of Me'ila because they didn't get any financial benefit from the Beis HaMikdash's property. So at first he says exactly like his brother, but then he suggests a bold idea that maybe the case in Pesachim is talking about chametz, which is designated for Kodshei Mizbeach. So there is crossover where sometimes property can be designated for Kodshei Mizbeach, even though it itself can't be a sacrifice, if it's supposed to be used in order to buy a sacrifice. So money which is designated to buy a sacrifice has the status of Kodshei Mizbeach, even though it itself cannot be a sacrifice. So maybe the case in Pesachim is that the chametz is intended to buy a sacrifice, and that's why, since it has no use, it has no me'ila because it has the same status as Kodshei Mizbeach. So that's a bold idea from Reb Moshe Soloveitchik to try to answer that question. So we got a little bit off topic from the original piece in Chidusha Rabbeinu Chaim Alevi, but either way, it's very interesting to see the reactions of the Brisker Rav, Reb Moshe Soloveitchik, and the Dvar Avram to some of the key points that Rab Chaim raises in this piece.